Hello, and welcome to She Dynasty. I'm Valerie Moisel, and these are the women who rule. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to She Dynasty. This week, we're speaking with Amy Schechter, the CEO of EverBody. EverBody is a cosmetic dermatology service that uses the safest medically tested procedures to help you achieve your optimal skin goals. Hi, Amy. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I am great. It is finally sunny out here in Long Island. It's been forever waiting for the sunshine, but we have some. <laughs> very nice, very nice. We have sunshine here every day, so I don't know what anyone's talking about. <laughs> Why do I live here anyway? All right. So, you know, before we kind of get into your journey, which is so much about what She Dynasty is about, you know, really understanding of how you got to where you are. I'm super curious to learn more about Everbody and what the company is about, its mission, its values, what it's setting out to do and, you know, how it's different from other brands or companies out there. Yeah. So Everbody is a chain of retail stores dedicated to cosmetic dermatology. So we do everything from facials and laser facials and M-Sculpt and Morpheus to a wrinkle relaxer and filler. And the difference between us and the competition is very distinct. We are a tech enabled business. We have a product and engineering team that has created our own EMR system, which is electronic medical records. It's very unusual for a startup to have their own tech platform as it relates to this part of our infrastructure. In addition to that, our technology follows our consumer from acquisition into our funnel until their fruition with our company. So as long as you stay with our company, we can engage with you through our technology. And that's a very unique proposition for our industry. We are also focused on the whole body, but not offering an enormous menu of services. We've done the editing for you. We're luxury. We are looking for the highest tech product and service that will give you the most efficacious results so that you don't have to spend a lot of time doing a lot of treatments, but you get the best treatment for that problem, whatever it may be. And we solve it for you as quickly as we can, non-surgically, so we don't do any surgery. And the ultimate goal is to demystify and destigmatize the idea of having these services and the idea of looking good and feeling good. The, the other thing I will say is Everbody is for everybody. And we are really focused on serving our whole community. So anybody that's interested in these services, and that is an area of focus, which again, isn't necessarily a focus um, from a competitive standpoint. So we're very, very conscientious of the needs of a diverse consumer and ensure that we have the provider and the technology to meet the needs of that consumer. Awesome. And you list that it's a cosmetic dermatology service. Does that mean there's doctors involved? 
Yes, yeah, so we have a, we are managed by a chief medical officer. We're thrilled to be able to have him at the helm of our business. And then in our stores, we have doctors, nurse practitioners, and estheticians doing the services. So um, another great reason to come to Everbody is highly experienced and well-trained staff at a, um, a lower price point. So what you would be spending for on Rodeo Drive or Madison Avenue, um, you would spend significantly less with us, but you're not getting a lesser service. You're getting a doctor who actually works on Madison Avenue, but while working for us is doing these services for less. And so the proposition of this is to bring these services to many more people and make it accessible to many more people. I love that. So um, I have to ask this question just because it's, I think, so relevant. I have, so I'm in my 40s. I have a sister who's 20 years younger than me, which is odd, but she's at the age where she's, you know, starting to think about doing fillers and Botox. And, you know, I just, for someone my age, like I totally understand it and get it. And not, and not that I'm judging I just kind of want to understand kind of the mindset of like the younger consumer and, you know, when is the right age? And obviously it's very personal, right? It's not, it's not one size fits all and what it's whatever makes you feel your best, but are there best practices around when, when these kinds of things should start happening or not, or is it just really left up to the individual and how they feel in your opinion? So we we're very careful about ensuring that we're doing what's right for the client, but also what is medically correct. Um, we have, you know, our own code of conduct that requires that we start with um, a very small dose of whatever we do, especially if it's wrinkle relaxer and filler, and we allow the client to experience what it looks and feels like before they go two feet in, they can dip their toe in the water. And the one thing that I will say, and, and this is you know medically driven, is that the younger you start with wrinkle relaxer, it, it could be used as preventative as opposed to just to get rid of wrinkles. And that's always a good thing. And so, so, so starting- there's fact, so, so there's fact to that. It does prevent if you kind of start early. It does, it does. And, it, and our injectors, we do a very small, we call it baby Botox. And it's usually what we call a sprinkling of Botox, very, very light wrinkle relaxer. Um, and just a little sprinkling in a couple of locations so that the muscle doesn't get as, as highly developed as it is with someone who's never had this. And it, it would prevent wrinkles from happening. Got it. Okay, perfect. And tell us kind of some of the bigger goals for everybody. What is kind of the ultimate goal? So um, ultimately to open, you know, many, many more locations to be as, as big as the biggest competitor out there and to provide services that are accessible in price, that are intelligent, that we have consistency across locations. So regardless of where you are in the world, you will have the same experience in one of our locations with the same level of efficacy and education that you would get in any location around the country. And also to create a space ultimately where all people feel comfortable coming. 
I love that. It's so important. I know it's kind of a silly analogy, but there's nothing better than when you're in a foreign country and you just need a moment of something you're familiar with and you find a Starbucks and you're like, yes, I know this. <laughs> right? It's so true. It's so true. So I was looking at your menu of services and, you know, something I personally go through, you know, some of these things are, I don't understand them. They're intimidating. They have all these like creative names, you know, not just you guys, so many different places, plasma injections, M-Sculpt, IPL photo facials. Like how does someone navigate all this? How does that work? Yeah. So um, the first thing we start with is a consultation to ensure that we understand your personalized needs and everything in our business is personalized to your unique needs. And everybody's face and body is different and their goals are different. And so it starts with a consultation. It also um, ties into your age and the problem areas. There are some people that are coming in for laser hair removal, others that are coming in for wrinkle relaxer and filler. And if you and I both went in, we might have different goals. And I may come out with some lip filler and you could come out with baby Botox. And it doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong. It's just, I feel like my upper lip is really small and I love the idea of making it a little bit bigger. But regardless of the services that you get, it's really for us, it's about natural beauty. And it is something that we um, have as a pillar of our business that we're actually not trying to change your looks. We're trying to enhance them and make them more in line with what you are looking for in your goals. So you're never going to go from one extreme to the other in our locations. Um, we'll always take baby steps to get to where, to where you want to go. And the good news is that you can actually come back in and your next service if you're dissatisfied is free. So it's not like we're doing it to get you back in. We're doing it to ensure your satisfaction and to go slowly in the transition of using any of our services. It's so important to hear that's one of your core values. So I have kind of a, a personal dilemma and I want your advice. So I have that friend. I have friends that do work and it looks beautiful and it's amazing, but I have that friend that just takes it too far. And I had lunch with her a few weeks ago. I hadn't seen her in a while. And I honestly, I, I sat down and I literally had a hard time looking at her. Like I was physically upset by how much she had altered her face and how different she looked. Do we have an obligation to tell our good friends or do you just let it go? And I've been struggling with it because I can't tell you how many times I've started to call her and dial her number and then just hang up and be like, this is her life. I got to let her do her thing. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how she feels, you know, it's like, it's such a personal um, experience. And, you know, if people are taking it to an extreme, sometimes it means that it's um, covering up another insecurity or just simply they like the way they look. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I have had an experience where I've said, you know, enough is enough and, and been told, you know, not really. And so who am I to say enough is enough? I think we have to allow people to look and feel what, what makes them happy and, and, and feel better about themselves and, and be happy that they're happy, you know, and not pass judgment on the fact that it's not how we would want to see ourselves, but how they see themselves and, and if it makes them feel better. Right. There's such a standard now to, and a pressure just to feel and look younger. You know, it's hard. It's hard to navigate. And it is. Just watching it is. 
watching, you know, women I know trying to figure it out. It's, it's tough. I wish somebody could just crack the code and make looking older, cooler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would solve. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of progress has been made for sure, but you know, it's still obviously something that everyone deals with. Yeah. And I think one of the things that everybody stands for is aging appropriately for you. You know, it's, it is so incredibly personalized, you know, and individualized to, to each, each person, and you get to do it the way you want to do it with us. And uh, the, the one thing that I will say is that we're not into extremism, you know, we're not into changing the natural looks of a person, our goal is to enhance your looks. And to, we always say we make you look refreshed, as opposed to changing the way that you look. Right. There was a, a moment in my life where the compliments start, stopped being like, wow, you look so good for to you look so good for your age. Oh, reality, right? <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. I really appreciate, you know, the background on the company and, you know, what everybody stands for and what you guys are trying to do. It sounds like you know, it is truly trying to do this the right way, which I think is very appreciated. So with that, I want to just talk a little bit about you. Um, you know, obviously you've worked really hard to get to where you are today. Um, so I want to start a little bit with your journey. And I know that you're originally from Boston, which I just visited for the first time last week. What a beautiful, beautiful place. First time ever? First time ever. I don't know why I've never been there. It's so great. Wow. I don't know why it's ridiculous, but uh, tell us about a, a little bit about your childhood. Um, love to hear when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> well, I am a family of four girls raised by two entrepreneurs. My mother had her own business and my father had his own business, which was unique for many years ago. We had a very large extended family and um, we were that family that had 40 for lunch on Sundays uh, my entire childhood. So um, very close knit family. And um, given the fact that my father didn't have any boys, he ensured that we understood sports and we were very athletic. So um, we were the sporty family of girls. Um, I started riding when I was about four years old. Um, my, all my older sisters rode and uh, became extremely competitive as an equestrian and started competing um, at a, a hunter jumper level and then went to college to ride on the, the equestrian team and went to the nationals and the regionals and um, riding was a very important part of my uh, growth and development. Um, you're an individual contributor, you're on a team, but your individual scores um, are cumed to the total team. So it's a very interesting team sport because your individual performance is very important to the success of the team. And yet you're not working together as a team, which is really interesting. You're working together, but alone as a team. I would say most of my skills I learned much younger as the captain of many um, sports teams and also as, as an amateur athlete. And 
Um, I, at one point, was in a business class, and my professor said to me, you have to stop coming to these classes in boots and britches and a hard hat. <laughs> and I said, really, I do? And she said, you have to make a decision. Are you you know, an equine studies major or are you a business major? And I had always wanted to be in fashion and in business and applied for an internship at Bloomingdale's and my senior year of college, moved to New York and worked for Bloomingdale's. And that was the beginning of my career in fashion um, that just catapulted into other categories. What did you think you wanted to do when you were a kid? So I, I always said when I was much younger, I wanted to be a teacher. And then at some point, I thought I was going to do something with children with disabilities. And I did it in at a very young age. I was working with Down syndrome children when I was 11 or 12 years old, all the way through college. And I took some of the like organic chemistry classes and I was like, okay, this isn't for me because I'll never get past organic chemistry and switch to business. So <laughs> that was that uh, the medical profession went down the tubes um, after a few medical um, classes in college and always had a passion for fashion and started taking business marketing and, and fashion courses and absolutely loved it. Love that. So, but as a CEO, in a sense, you are an educator in many you respects, are. right? You're always you are such an educator. I mean, when when we think about when I think about the things that are you know formula for success, and and what I've learned over the course of time, it is absolutely the whole is the sum of its parts. And um, my my job is to bring the sum of the parts together in in a symphony you know, definitely conduct this symphony in a way that everything makes beautiful music as opposed to each individual performer being the highlight. There are moments of highlights, but really um, as, a, as a CEO and a leader of a business, you aren't successful unless the team is operating with effectiveness and with harmony. Any specific sparks that you can remember either in your childhood or in, you know, your high school, college years, like things that just were moments that just really inspired you to kind of take a different direction or try something new, even if it's not where you ended up today? Yes. Um, I would say that I was um, on a career path at Bloomingdale's and doing quite well in their training program and then went on into their executive program. And somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, have you ever thought about doing your own thing? And I was like, yes, <laughs> I have always wanted to be an entrepreneur and never really thought about how I could get there. You know, as a, as a young person, it's like, it's a little bit overwhelming to think about the idea of launching your own business. And a manufacturer came to me and said, let's do something together and let's build something. And, and if I, you know, honestly, it was a pretty scary moment, um, leaving an institution, leaving a a track that had you to become a senior level executive and to just jump off the ship and, and go into the, the rough waters. And, um, 
And I remember having the conversation with my family and saying to my mother and my father, can I, can I really do this? Can I really like jump off this ship that's taking me very quickly to an unbelievable island? Right, right. They were like, if this is what you want to do, go out there, baby, and make it happen. And, and I did. And, and honestly, it was, you know, the best decision I ever made because it started me on my path for um, not being fearful about believing in myself. And, you know, I, I talk about this a lot is as women, we are, you know, much more afraid to take risks. And I, I don't know why actually somebody was asking me this this morning, if I, if I knew why women were afraid to take risks in, as it relates to believing in themselves, you know, there's a Harvard business case study that says if men know 50% of the job, they go for it. If women know 80% of the job, they hesitate because they don't know 100%. Wow. And it, it's, this isn't me talking, this is, you know, like Harvard business case. And, and I, I often think to myself, you know, why is that the case? Why do men feel like if they know about 50%, they're good, like they can go for it, they'll put their hat in the ring. And yet if women only know, you know, 60, 70% of it, they still have hesitation. Why is that the case? And um, I don't have the answer. I only know that um, as a mom of a daughter, I taught her how to network and engage at four, how to shake a hand properly at five and how to work a room at six. And I was not going to have a daughter that was um, even though I had a shy daughter, I was not going to have someone that was going to be afraid of interacting with men and women and to assert herself in a room full of people because networking is something that men are taught at such a young age. Hey, little Johnny, shake Mr. Smith's hand. And okay, Susie, give him a hug. And, you know, that wasn't going to be the case. Um, for my daughter, and nor would I have it be the case with women who work for me. You know, they they have to be um, bold and confident, and if they're not, I I want to help them to get there. You know, it's it's interesting because this is something I'm going through with my teenagers. Is you know, it's, we have an extra layer of complication with this because they're born into an age of social media especially with the pandemic, you know, being able to hide behind screens. So it meant something different for you and me growing up, that ability to be bold and speak to people. But this is really, you know, a skill set. Like, you know, I, I know sometimes I'll, my daughter will be like, mom, can you make me a dermatology appointment? I'm like, you pick up the phone and call and make your own dermatology appointment. She's like, but then I have to talk to someone, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> the simplest skills, you know, they're just not taught just because they've grown up all digital. They, well, can I text them? No, you can't text them. <laughs> call, make the appointment. So yeah, I can totally, totally relate to that. And so, so important when we talk about taking risks um, just this last year, um, you know, I took the biggest risk of my life, which was buying my business partner out after 25 years, 24 years, I should say, you know, we started as kids. And as you know, I own an advertising agency and wow, it was scary. I mean, it was, first of all, it was a pandemic. So everybody's like, you're nuts. You don't know what the market's going to look like afterwards. Um, and I will tell you that the reason that I got the courage to do it is because of conversations like this. And after speaking to, you know, now scores of women who have just, you know, con consistently told me that every time they've taken the risk, it's paid off. 
and been brave. And that's what gave me kind of the wind beneath my wings to do it. So every time I hear this, it just reaffirms my decision. And I just like could do this all day because it's Yeah, well, congratulations, because it's a, it's a big step to believe in yourself. You know, it, it is there, there's no guidebook, right, that says, in order to do this, this is steps one through five, you you have to wing it and, um, and figure things out and have failures, you know, where we're a little bit afraid of failing. And I don't, again, I don't know why, but um, the best thing that we can do is buoy one another. And it's um, also something I'm really passionate about is ensuring that there are enough women at the table and um, that there are enough women in leadership roles so that they can encourage and foster the next generation of leaders. And, and it's not just women, you know, I'm really, really encouraged to have men at the table that support the best person at the job, because you know, it's not going to happen with just, um, well, it's not going to be that women are going to be at every seat at, around the table. And so we need the next generation of men to encourage the next generation of women as much as we encourage the next generation of women. Understood. So I understand that after your um, kind of journey at Bloomingdale's, there was a number of other jobs that you kind of took all over the world. So tell us a little bit about that part of your life. Yeah, so I've worked for some amazing high growth brands and um, I consider myself lucky and they're brands that have come and gone and in some cases gone and gone. And um, it was it was pretty amazing to be a part of high growth brands when they were relative. And it taught me a lot. Um, I also got to travel the world. I have been in a lot of countries um, meeting a lot of people from all different cultures and having to conduct business in many foreign countries, which, you know, again, there's no, there's no guidebook, which there should be actually, for suddenly finding yourself in a small country in Asia and having to deal with a manufacturer who has never really seen the likes of someone like me um, and negotiate with them on a price. And right. it was an incredible, incredible experience that every single day I feel appreciative and grateful because it made me who I am today. It was not always easy. I was on a different time zone very often. I commuted to China and was having breakfast with my daughter in New York City who was having dinner and missing the ballet recitals and um, you know the, the first dance and all of those things. I, I missed a lot of them, but um, she understands and, and we understand and my husband was amazing at, at going to everything. And so um, I was given that opportunity to um, not to be in two places at the same time. Um, I also commuted to a job that was on the other side of the country for a number of years. And, and that also, um, although it was in the country, also really challenging to, um, to, to be a part of a family and not be there Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday. Again, um, you know, I did it for the experience and to continue to grow my career. And because I believed that it was a, a next step for me in, in the process of becoming a leader and a CEO of a business. Um, 
I, I have learned a lot in, in my travels. And I would say the thing that resonates the most for me is relationships and really understanding the importance of the team that you work with and, um, and the, the people that you work for and, and the people that you engage with every single day. Because at the end of the day, you spend more time with the people at work than very often than the people that you live with every single day. And it's important to have respect and integrity as well as kindness every single day. And, and that is something that throughout this journey, I, I have learned. And I will tell you that having learned this um, through some rough and tumble, um, I, I will no longer work with assholes. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but. Oh, you know, we are, <laughs> I have no asshole part, a policy at my company. So <laughs> one of our values. So I'm totally. Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I mean, working with or for, you know, just not, not ready for that and not interested in it. And, um, and that is, that's like, if people say to me, what's important to you now in your career, that's really important to me right now. The no asshole policy. <laughs> I hear you. So I understand you've had many, you've worn many hats. You've been in marketing operations, store expansion, brand building, product development, merchandising operations. I already said that. Um, but why I, I'm just curious, cause obviously all of this experience is so perfect for where you are now. Um, but was there ever um, kind of a desire to just choose one and take that to the top? Or did you always kind of have this goal of, you know, being a CEO, which is really, you know, I, I love that you have all this experience because it's going to just make you obviously so much stronger understanding the different roles underneath you. Yeah, I would say yes and yes. I I have had great success in certain areas and and run, you know, in, in the area of marketing. I, I went as high as an SVP of marketing and ran a, a global business in, in marketing and um, had a huge television and radio budget and did events. Uh, really high profile events and and had great success with it and never thought that I would be able to transcend um, you know the the pigeonhole that you you get stuck in and I was fortunate that I had a bit of a diverse background and even in my training program and it afforded me the opportunity to transition from one thing to another. The biggest jump was going from running marketing, a, like a CMO kind of role into a chief merchandising officer and running product. That transition was the biggest transition to go from an operating position to a merchant role. And um, I was fortunate that I had the merchandising experience early on. So I was able to use that and transition at a more senior level role. And, um, and that, that really, that dual path set me up for taking roles in either one of those areas throughout the next few years and really gave me the opportunity to run a business. Having the merchandising and marketing and operations background, it makes you, for some people, they think I'm schizophrenic, you know, <laughs> and crazy. And for others, it's, um, it's super valuable because as I look at a business, I bring the expertise around marketing and brand building around merchandising and the consumer and and also operations and efficiency so i think it makes me a better 
CEO. Um, and, and I'm very appreciative to have been given the opportunity to work in different roles in my career. Do you ever, was there ever a moment where you said, my goal is to be a CEO? It's, it's, this is a question I ask um, all the women who have this position. And it's interesting because a lot of them, it just kind of naturally progresses there. What It's not like a goal that's set early on. I'm just curious how, for you, if that's any different. I wanted to be the CEO. I, I remember distinctly when it happened, I was working for someone that I didn't care for that much. And I said, if I am ever given the opportunity to be a CEO, I am not going to be like that person. And I'm going to be a CEO so that I cannot, I, I do not have to deal with people like this. I can set the tone for culture and for people. And um, there was a moment where I had been a president, but I hadn't been a CEO. And somebody said to me, in order to get to the next level, you have to take the CEO job that is given to you. You're not going to get to, to choose because it's hard to break into sort of being a president and being a CEO. And and I thought that was so sad that somebody said that to me, you know, it's so hard to be a first time CEO unless you're within an organization and it's a natural next step. So you've been with a company for 20 years and then finally you get enough experience to become the CEO. And in my particular case, uh, that wasn't the case. I spent three, four, five years at a company and then would move on to something else. And, and so when I was given the opportunity, I jumped at it and also knew that I wanted to work for people that would help me be the best CEO I could be. And I was fortunately given that opportunity to really learn how to be a CEO, because it's a big transition to go from a functional leader to running a company. And again, there's no, there's no playbook. You know, somebody doesn't hand you a playbook on day one and say, okay, you just became a CEO. Now here's the CEO playbook. So as you know, part of what we talk about on She Dynasty is our four S's. And one of them is the snags that we um, encounter. And when they're happening, they seem like the end of the world. But I know as we move past them, they become very valuable learning moments that actually help shape who you are and oftentimes help you find success. Are there any specific moments or anecdotes you can call out that, you know, were, were moments where you thought, wow, this is really, really bad. But in hindsight, it was actually a, a really teachable moment or a moment that propelled you forward. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot. So how much time do you have? <laughs> um I would say, you know, definitely this, this might be relevant for people who um, have experienced this throughout the, uh, throughout the pandemic, but the first time my position was eliminated, I, I actually didn't get it. Like I didn't understand that somebody, you could be performing and doing well and your job gets eliminated. And that was something that was really tough to to get over at that particular time because I thought, well, you know, I'm beating my numbers and I'm running the team well, but yet, you know, not right place, right time for me. 
And um, it, again, afforded me the opportunity to change the direction that I was going in. So take a role in a more entrepreneurial environment and learn from the ground up about building a business. And at the moment when it happened, I thought, you know, I'm, how am I ever going to get over this? And now when I look back at it, I think, oh, wow, what a celebration <laughs> to be given that opportunity to redraft your future, like a moment of pause to say, wow, you know, I don't have anything to get up and do tomorrow. What do I want to do? A self-assessment. And I'm sure there are people out there that through COVID, unfortunately, lost their position or their role changed and were devastated by that experience. And what I can say is turn it into a moment of clarity because with clarity, there's confidence. I don't think confidence is something that comes with the job. I think it comes with a clear consciousness of what do I want to do next? And then you can go and make it happen. I'm a true believer in making what you want to have happen, happen. I do believe that. And it comes from clarity. I don't think it comes from confidence. You build your plan, you understand exactly what A, B, and C look like, and then you go and do it because you have the clarity and you can connect to it and make it happen. So that that is definitely one thing that I overcame. Um, an, another thing that I'll share with you, and it's, um, I was actually told once that um, I was passed over for a, um, a promotion because I didn't have the right equipment. And um, I'm, for those that can't see, I'm putting that in quotes. Um, and I didn't really know what that meant until the person pointed down and then I got it, um, that I didn't have the right equipment. Um, and, you know, I'm a little bit older and I, I, in those days, people could say things like that to you and you couldn't sue them. That wouldn't happen today. But again, um, what I would say is there are moments like that, not necessarily with the same kind of uh, gender bias, but um, there are moments that people go through bullying or not being treated fairly. And what I would say is you control your destiny. The best thing that I did was quit that situation and find what was right for me. And I think finding a job that gives you satisfaction and uh, where you work with people that resonate with you is, is um, a huge learning process in the world of um, becoming an executive and growing into your own shoes. I think at the, at the beginning, we think we're so appreciative, which we should always be appreciative, but we think that we're serving them. And actually there's no them, we're serving ourselves always and making ourselves happy and satisfied brings the best of yourself to a role. And I think it's super important to always be true to you and find your purpose. And that's where job satisfaction comes. Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, wow, you know, I can relate to how many instances in my career people have said things or done things that are inappropriate. And at that time, it's just acceptable. You kind of just look the other way. You kind of supposed to roll off you i mean to the point where you wouldn't even like mention it when you got home just because it was part of the way things were right yeah. so we've definitely come a long way from that perspective 
Um, but you bring up, you brought up something in your first example that I wanted to touch on, because I think it's really important. Um, you talked about how um, you were let go and you didn't understand why, because you were performing. And so I'm going to ask you a question just because this is something that I'm often kind of faced with is, you know, decisions are off, often made behind closed doors um, by executives and sometimes really hard decisions that never, ever make sense to anyone, to the person who it's happening to, to the rest of the employees. And so I guess my question is, you know, now being on the other side where I'm sure you've had to make hard decisions. And, you know, I think the hardest part is you want to be able to explain your decisions to everyone. You want to be able to go into the nitty gritty details of why you made the decisions, but it's just not appropriate to do so, right? You don't explain why somebody was let go or why something was cut or budgets or whatever it is, just because it's not in, it's not the appropriate thing to do. So I guess my question is um, now being on the other side where you probably have to make hard decisions and sometimes there might be somebody in a similar position. Do you have a new kind of appreciation for kind of both sides of the fence, if that makes yeah. sense? Yeah, I would say that I probably lead with greater transparency and feedback um, as a result of having been through that situation. Um, I think that if I had greater insight into what was happening with the business, and it was a business decision to make the business more um, efficient because the business was going to be sold. And um, it was a big secret that that was going to be the transaction. And I think that transparency is, is critical and essential um, with, with, because you're managing people. And I, I think that, you know, I, I, today I totally understand this decision. I respect it. It's great. And it, and it worked out for me. Um, I think as a leader, I think that, I hope to do a better job of communicating and sharing um, both positive and um, developmental feedback with people so that there are no surprises. And I guess, you know, with good leadership, I, I don't think there should be surprises. I don't think that anything should shock someone. And um, I think if that's the case, then it wasn't necessarily great leadership, because if there's an ongoing conversation and there's transparency with the executive leadership team, then those situations don't come as a surprise. All right. So I think you've answered most of my questions, except for now I have what I call my rapid fire questions. So tell me, Amy, what keeps you up at night? Can I be totally honest with this? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Staying up late, waiting for my daughter to come home when she's driving around town um, definitely keeps me up at night. Not business oriented, but I can't sleep until I hear the door shut. I understand right there with you. <laughs> um, what is one of your like personal biggest pet peeves? Um, a lack of respect and kindness to people in lower positions, regardless of whether it's in my company or you go to a hotel and there's a person handing you a hand towel. To me, that person deserves the same amount of respect as anybody else in the universe. If you could completely switch careers, do something totally, totally different, what would it be? Uh, pediatrics. I go back to it. <laughs> okay, love that. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing women in business today? Not enough women in key decision-making roles. 
we need more women at the top to um, ensure that women coming up into the organization are getting mentoring and support. What is your biggest strength? Communication. Greatest weakness? Not balancing work and life to the greatest effect. <laughs> I could be better at it. I don't, you know, I, I care about it a lot for my team and I ensure that my team has great work-life balance, but I can't say that I've been the best at it in, in my career. If you could add one skill set to your repertoire, what would it be? Can I say, you know, a superpower? I would really like to know what other people are thinking. I, like that. I mean, I, I know we've all seen the movie where it doesn't work out. I would love to know the secrets behind those eyes. What advice would you give your younger self? Um, hmm. I would say cut the cord when you know it's not right. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Um, Okay. It goes, it goes back to, you know, not working with people that you don't have harmony with. And, and I think way back when I was more grateful to have the job than the value of my own worth. And I think some people do that. I think some people stay when they shouldn't. And I think there were moments where I stayed a little bit too long. And what is your actionable advice for those listening who want to be in a position similar to yours one day? Um, use your resources. I mean, I would say this to anybody, LinkedIn, friends of friends. I, you and I were just chatting a minute before this. And I said, if your daughter wants to talk to a friend of my daughter's who's been at this school or college, make it happen. I, I, I think that... There's, there is, it, it's so easy to have a conversation with someone that has done what you want to do and yet so hard to pick up the phone or to send an email. Yeah, and most, and, people, most people are kind and they'll say yes. And if, it, you know, if you are asking for a favor that they can't, you know, fulfill at the moment, they might keep you in mind for down the line or refer you to someone else. And I think this is the best advice. I love this. It is, it's amazing. And you know, what I would say is golf was created for men to have this moment for four hours. We do not have an equivalent. We don't, we go for blowouts and you can't talk or a manicure and you can't talk. So like, where do we do it? They do it on the golf course. And I, I know, you know, this is probably completely gender biased because women play golf as well and they're really good at it. And I applaud them, but I'm not one of them. And so where's my golf course? Um, and honestly, <laughs> we have to find our golf course and, and, and make it happen. And we have to encourage the women that we know to network because we don't do it well and we don't encourage one another to do it. And so I encourage everybody to do it. Great. And then my last question is, how do you define success? Success is a brand that resonates with people that feel inspired to go to work every day. All right. Well, I think that's it. I think, I think we are all done. I really, really appreciate your time. Love chatting with you. You too.
Yeah. And I will tell anybody listening, I am on LinkedIn and only an email away and I'm happy to chat. And I do every time. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much, Amy, for being here today. I really. Appreciate yeah. Thank you for having me.